Welcome to the All People's Church podcast. We believe in loving God, strengthening families, and developing leaders. We are so excited for you to hear this life-changing message recorded live at one of our worship experiences. Remember to share and subscribe to this podcast and enjoy the message. It's good to be in God's house. I want to welcome those of you watching us online. Can we welcome our online church congregation? Thank you wherever you are joined from worshiping with us. My name is Moses Khan. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, I have the privilege and the honor to share God's word with you this morning. I'm so excited. I want you to turn in two places in your Bible, Hebrews chapter 4, Hebrews chapter 4, and John chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 4 and John chapter 5. If you are watching us online, I'd encourage you, you know, make use of that comment section and, uh, and the chat there and encourage one another and share and like and do all that good stuff so we can get this message out. Hebrews chapter 4 and John chapter 5. If you're there, say amen. All right. I'm going to be reading out of the ESV translation. And uh, if you're not there, you can follow us uh, on the screen there. Let's just stand in honor of reading God's word this morning. Praise God. I know sometimes it's habit to tune this part out and just to pay attention to the speaking. But this part is so much more greater than the speaking. Because this part's the only part that's truly inspired. I mean, I preach with the help of the Holy Spirit, but I'm not inspired like the word is inspired. And so pay attention to this as we read so that the Holy Spirit can work. Amen. The Bible says, Hebrews chapter 4, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we have believed... And for we who have believed enter that rest, as he said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. I, I love what the writer of Hebrews is doing because I do this all the time where I don't know a particular reference. And I go, you know, well, somewhere in the Bible it says, that's what the writer of Hebrews is doing. He goes, somewhere in the Bible it says, and God rested on the seventh day. From all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, They shall not enter my rest, since therefore it remains for some to enter it. And those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day called today, saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us there strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of the spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Since therefore we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast. I want to say hold fast. Our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one 
who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. All right, let's turn to John chapter 5. I want to read from verse 5 to verse 9. The Bible says this, one man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there, he knew that he had already been there a long time. He said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred. And while I'm going and other steps down before me, Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once this man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for these moments that we can share, surrounding ourselves around your word. We know that your word is alive, it is active, it is powerful, and it is life changing. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would allow our hearts to be open and our minds to be open to what you want to do, to what only you can do. God, I pray for every distraction to just move to the background right now. Help us to focus Help us to have ears to hear and eyes to see what you are doing and what you want to accomplish. Father, I rebuke every spirit of fear. I rebuke every spirit of disbelief and unbelief. And I declare, Lord, that you would fill this house in this room and those watching online with faith. That you would move us into all that you have called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, if you believe that, would you praise God this morning? Hallelujah. You may be seated. Thank you, Corey. You gonna come back for me, bro? Love you. Come on, can we give it up for Corey here? I know that was a, a lot of scripture, so in the next two hours, I'm gonna attempt to, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Some of your faces, you're like, what? Uh, honey, we gotta go. Um, okay, no, I'm gonna walk through Hebrews chapter four and kind of give you some context and then uh, we'll, we'll circle back to John five and see what, and see what God does. Amen, are you ready to receive this morning? Praise God. I love the book of Hebrews because uh, in, in the whole letter of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews is, is writing to a Jewish audience. That's why it's called Hebrews. It's not that God brews coffee. It's, it's, it's called Hebrews. That was a joke, and uh, you didn't catch it. That's all right. Um, it was funny in my head. Uh, anyways, a lot of things are funnier in my head. But let me continue. The writer of Hebrews is emphasizing through his whole letter that what we have in Jesus is superior it is better and it is greater than what they had in the Old Testament. That the Old Covenant did its part, but make no mistake, it is no comparison to the covenant we have in Jesus. The covenant we have in Jesus is superior, it is greater, and it is better. Amen, somebody. See, the Old Testament, the writer of Hebrews says you, you, you would have been required to bring sacrifices every time you tried to worship God. But the writer of Hebrews encourages us that Jesus was the once and for all sacrifice. That the next time you go grocery shopping, you don't have to pick up a sacrifice on your way to church. Hello? Jesus was the once and for all sacrifice. This covenant is superior. It is greater. And it is better. I love that he uses the word better because God is not just right, he's better. Amen. Hello, somebody? Amen. God's ways are not just right, they're better. 
They're more satisfying. They're more fulfilling. They allow you to be whole. They allow you to have peace. They allow you to have faith and love. They allow you to operate in who God has created you to be. His ways are not just right. They are, come on somebody. They're better. They're better. And so the writer of Hebrews in this chapter wants us to focus and wants his audience to focus. And he is bringing back a a memory of of the generation God rescued from Exodus. You remember the story? Israel is uh, under 400 years of slavery. How many know that's a long time? The Bible says that they cried out to the Lord. And when they cried out to the Lord, the Lord heard their cry and appointed Moses to go and be the spokesperson, to be the leader, to be the mediator for this great rescue mission. And how many know that God God literally caused heaven and earth to move, to rescue his people? He he caused the ten plagues, remember the ten plagues? To to put fear in the heart of Pharaoh so that Pharaoh would finally say, all right, go. Go worship your God. Not only did he cause these ten plagues, which, which were out of a movie, really, Just just things you've never seen before, things you've never heard before. Not only did he cause these ten plagues, but but they reach a moment where they now have to cross a body of water. And they're scratching their heads and looking at Moses like, you brought us here so that we would die. And Moses is commanded to stretch out his rod. And God splits the sea. And he causes the people of Israel to walk on dry land. Not only that. Pharaoh thinks he can cross the dry land as well. And God causes the waves to collapse over Pharaoh. Hello? Come on, somebody. God is so good. God will bring us to the promised land and he will destroy our enemy in the process. He will destroy that the devourer, the Bible says. He will rebuke the devourer. So that we experience the blessings of God. All this happens. And the Bible says that, the, that, that this, this generation of Israel, out of Numbers 14, if you have time, go read it. But, but these people begin to complain. These people begin to murmur. They're tired. They're tired of eating manna. They're tired of being thirsty. They're, they're, and they begin to say to Moses, did you bring us out here so that we would die? And and, and they literally say, it's better for us to go in Egypt and die than to live out here free. They would rather die as slaves than to follow God and be free. They would rather die as slaves than follow God and be free. This is the generation that God rescued from Pharaoh's hands. This is the generation that called out to God and he responded. And now this generation doesn't believe the same God that freed them from Pharaoh can get them to the promised land. And so here's what happens, Numbers 14. God eventually gets frustrated and irritated with their disbelief and disobedience. And God gets frustrated to the point that he says, you are not going to enter into the promised land. That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. The writer of Hebrews is saying they heard the same word, but it didn't benefit them because their faith was not attached to it. Somewhere they stopped believing that God could still do this. Hello? And they missed their former lives. Can God still do this? 
God gets frustrated and says, listen, you're not going to enter into that spiritual rest. Now the next generation, so what was reserved for you, the next generation will experience. And if we're not careful, church, our disobedience and unbelief will allow us to hear words and not benefit from them. Isn't it interesting that hearing was not enough? The Bible says they heard the same word, but they didn't benefit from it because their faith was not attached. They didn't benefit from it. They didn't benefit from the promises of God. They didn't benefit from the ten plagues. They didn't benefit from the Red Sea splitting open. They didn't benefit from water coming out of the rocks. They didn't benefit from manna coming down to heaven because their faith was not attached to it. Hearing is not enough. At some point, we need to be moved by faith and trust that God is still able to do what he said he would do. That if he rescued us from our past, he can carry us to our future. Come on. This is what the writer of Hebrews is, is saying. This is the spiritual, spiritual rest. Now, now it's interesting because, because the way to the promised land was the wilderness. Amen? And they were in the wilderness. Now, now isn't it fascinating that they were where God wanted them to be, but they were not who God wanted them to be? Come on, somebody. You can be, this is the scary part, right, of, of going through the motions, that you can actually be where God wants you to be and not be who God wants you to be. They were supposed to go through the wilderness to get to the promised land. So they're where God wants them to be. But they're disobedient and they're unbelieving. They're not who God wants them to be. And here was God's heart, God's, God's desire that, that, that as they went through the promised land. Because when, when the writer of Hebrews is talking about spiritual rest, he's talking about relationship with God. So what the promised land was to them, Jesus is to us. Only the writer of Hebrews says Jesus is far greater because their rest was just natural. Our rest transcends time and space in Jesus Christ. And this rest, the writer of Hebrews says, is still available to those who would believe for those who would want to enter into that rest. Now, when you think of rest and you hear me talk about rest, you're thinking, okay, I got to take a Pentecostal nap after church today. That's the rest Pastor Moses is talking about. Praise God, I'm going to have some lunch and I'm going to knock out and it's going to be good. Spiritual rest, amen. Now, now, now there, there is a little bit of that. But, but the spiritual rest is not just a good nap. The spiritual rest that is promised to us in Jesus removes anxiety. That spiritual rest removes fear. That spiritual rest allows us to be whole. It allows us not to just be where God wants us to be, but it allows us to be who God wants us to be. That spiritual rest brings all things into completion. That spiritual rest believes that God will finish what he has started, that he is not a man that he should lie. That's the spiritual rest we walk into as we get into relationship with Jesus, as we trust his work for us. We have life. We don't have dead Christianity. We have life. And life more abundant. Isn't that what Jesus said? Jesus said the thief, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. 
that, that you may experience life the way I have designed it to be experienced. That's what God wants us to experience. But the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. See, see somewhere, see, see, when you hear these things, the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Oftentimes we, we think of them all together, but what we don't realize that in some seasons the devil comes to kill, in other seasons he comes to destroy, and then in other seasons he comes to kill. Steal, kill, and destroyed. Now here's the reality of Israel. They're going through the wilderness. They've escaped Pharaoh. They've escaped slavery. So it's like, man, I survived. I survived that season, not realizing that that season wasn't meant to kill them. That season was meant to rob their, uh, their belief. That season was meant to rob their joy. That season was meant to rob their faith. And so you come out of a season thinking, I survived. But your joy didn't. Your faith didn't. Your trust in people didn't. You're no longer believing, but you're operating in unbelief and you're walking in disobedience. And so you can be where God wants you to be and not be who God has called you to be. Because you're not functioning by his ways and his order. So there's a story in 2 Samuel. In 2 Samuel, there's a story of, of David retrieving the Ark of the Covenant from the Philistines. Now, if you're not familiar with the Ark, the Ark in the Old Testament symbolized God's presence for the people of Israel. Because they needed something tangible in order to know that God was with, was with them. And so God gives them the Ark as a symbol of his presence. Now, this Ark had a box, and alongside the box were poles. Okay? And God said there's a specific way that this ark is to be carried. The box is not to be touched. If you're going to carry this ark, if you're going to transport this ark, what you need to do is get the Levites. Now the Levites were, 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 were men of God that God had separated, set apart, and distinguished for this task. These were people that understood the weight of God's presence. These were people that understood that God's presence is not to be played with. These were people who understood the weight of his glory. And so they were to carry the ark by the poles, not to touch the box. Now here's what happens. David wants to retrieve the ark because the ark helps them win battles. And David gets the ark and, and somewhere David decides, we don't, we don't know exactly why, somewhere David decides carrying the poles back is too much work. So let's just take back the box. And what he does is he gets ox to carry the box on a little cart, and they are partying. The Bible says in 2 Samuel, they are having a parade of celebration. Meanwhile, they're not functioning in God's ways. Meanwhile, they're operating out of order, out of the way God has created the ark to function. And they're partying, they're living it up, they're having time, they're lit, it's good, they're having a blast. And the Bible says that they encounter a bump on the road. A bump on the road. See, a bump on the road would expose you. They encounter a bump on the road, and the ark wobbles. And this man tries to steady the ark, and he touches the box. And the Bible says he drops dead. Because you're not supposed to touch the box. And they're having a parade, and people are dying. Can I say it this way? 
They're having church and people are dying. They're having worship services and people are dying. They've got joy, but it's dead. They've got peace, but it's dead. They've got celebration, but it's not the glory of God, it's the glory of man. They're having church and people are dying. See, there are consequences to doing Christianity without Christ. Because you don't benefit from him. And so they are having church and they're dying. And, and, and the writer of Hebrews is saying, you can be where God wants you to be and not be who God wants you to be. And so isn't that what Moses experienced? Like, you remember the story, right? Moses is not allowed into the promised land. Why? Because he didn't follow the ways of God. He started beating the rock to try to get some water out of it. Why? Because he was frustrated. Be careful what you do when you're frustrated. And God says, you've beat this rock and water came out. And you beat it in such a way that it looks like you're doing and not my doing. So you've gotten the glory when I was supposed to get the glory. And you're not going to enter into the promised land. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying, just like Moses, one whole generation wasn't allowed to go into the promised land because of their disbelief. They were not allowed to enter into that rest. So he talks about the spiritual rest that we have in Christ and based on our relationship with him. But he also talks about a Sabbath rest. That's why he quotes Genesis 2, 2, that God rested from his work when he finished. And so I, I want to talk about that just for a brief moment because I think it's imperative that we understand that as we live Christianity today, if we're not going to, if we're going to be the people God has called us to be, that we operate in both spiritual rest and Sabbath rest. What is Sabbath rest, Pastor Mo? Sabbath rest is a literal 24-hour period where you rest. Two reasons the Old Testament gives for us. One, imitation. Second, liberation. The first one was to imitate God because he rested. The second was liberation. When God brings people out of slavery from Egypt, he says, I've rescued you from slavery to rest. Yeah. Not so you can work harder, so you can rest. And when we don't rest, we tell God our work is an idol. We're not liberated. We're slaves to it. If you cannot Take a 24-hour rest period from your work. You're not hardworking. You're a slave. That's what the Bible says. And so, and so we need to be people who God has called us to be. Like, I, 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 am, I am enamored by, 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 by the reality that, that the church is experiencing right now where we, where we are operating as if our faith can only function in safety. But the Bible says work out your, work out your salvation in fear and in you're scared? Work out your salvation. You, you cannot wait for safety to work out your salvation. Do you know that our, our brothers and sisters that preceded us from the early church to, to church history, our Christian brothers and sisters, when they heard of a pandemic, they didn't go, all right, Bobby, Susie, let, we're, we're moving to Florida. Let's go. Let's find safety. Apparently Florida's the safe place to, I don't know. What do I know? But, but here's what happens. Here's what our brothers and sisters did. When they heard of a pandemic, they went towards it. 
When they heard of a plague, they went towards it. When they heard of sickness, they went towards it because they understood we're not just going to be where God wants us to be. We're going to be who God wants us to be. And if there's pain there, we're going there. If there's hurt there, we're going there. If there's sickness there, we're going there. We're going to move towards the places and areas and people God needs to work. Because we understand God works through us. My salvation doesn't require safety to operate. Fear and trembling. Fear and trembling. Ask the Bible. Am I doing okay? And so the writer of Hebrews says something so interesting. I'm out of breath. I got to sit down. Pastor said, you, you might as well lie down up there. I'm like, I thought about it. <laughs> the writer of Hebrews says something very interesting. He goes, so now that you understand this reality, here's what I want you to do. He says something very interesting. He says, he says I want you to strive for that rest. What an interesting sentence. I want you to work for rest. I want you to make every Effort for rest. For rest. And so he says, don't let your hearts harden. And he gives us two reasons. The first reason is because Jesus, our high priest, is able to sympathize with us in our weaknesses. So strive to enter into that rest. Because, because as you strive to enter into that rest, into relationship with Jesus, you're not approaching a God who is far off. You're not approaching a God who doesn't understand you. You are approaching a God who understands every weak part of you. And he says, come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. And so he tells us to strive into that rest. Because this rest is a greater rest. See, their rest was a lesser rest, and they missed it. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying, they missed the lesser rest. Don't miss the greater rest because of your disbelief. Strive to enter into that rest. Strive to enter into that rest. So when we find that rest, we find safety, we find refuge, we find protection. Isn't that what Pastor was saying, that God surrounds us? Like the mountains. He's our shield. He's our salvation. He's our place of refuge. And so we strive to enter into that rest. And it's all made possible because of Jesus. See, the problem with Israel is they eventually got to a point where they let their experience inform their theology and not their theology inform their experience. Can I say it this way? They were looking at God through their perspective and not looking at their perspective through God. And so what happens, we, we end up living a Christianity, I think, that isn't the Christianity that God has called us to live. That, that we find ourselves in the right places and somehow still end up the wrong people. And so, you know, right now there, there's, there's so much being made of, of safety and, and, and trying to 
and trying to, trying to be safe and, and do all the right things. And I'm, I'm all for that. I'm all for that. I'm all for that. But what you think sustains you reveals who your Savior is. However you're trying to sustain your life reveals who you think your Savior is. And so when your priority is, is I got to make little Susie and Sally safe, my, my kids, I got to protect my kids, I got to protect. How long can you really protect your kids? No, really, how, how long? And wh what we end up saying is that we're their God. And so we make them idolaters and become the idols ourselves. We become their golden calf. Too strong? All right, moving on. But you, but you hear what I'm saying? I got one person, praise God. <laughs> Here's what I'm ultimately trying to say. What I'm ultimately trying to say is that we need to stop trying to play the shepherd. We're not the shepherd. Our concentration needs to be on the sheep. What does it mean to be the sheep? And I don't know about you, but anytime I've tried to play the shepherd, stuff has hit the fan. Hello? Got two honest people in the room. I'd rather be the sheep. I'd rather not worry about what, what I have to face tomorrow. I'd rather not worry about how, how am I going to get through the valley. All I know is my shepherd goes before me and he says I'm going to get through, so I'm going to get through. And so the writer of Hebrews says, where's Corey? Corey, you can come back up, bro. Otherwise, I'm never going to close. And people are like, amen to that. And so, so what's the resolve? How do we enter into that rest? Here's what the writer of Hebrews says in that final verse. He says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You know what I love? The writer of Hebrews does not say approach the throne of condemnation. He does not say approach the throne of judgment. He does not say approach the throne of you're not good enough. He says approach the throne of grace. This is where grace overflows. You know what he's saying? He's saying grace ultimately is unrestricted. The only condition is our willingness to receive it. The only condition is do we want it? Do we want it? That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. They heard the word but didn't benefit from it because they didn't want it. Do we want it? Which makes me circle back to John chapter 5 where Jesus sees this invalid. And the Bible says this invalid was laying there for 38 years. 38 years. And the Bible says Jesus approaches this man who has been there for 38 years. And he asks him such a strange question in verse 6. He says, do you want to be made well. Do you want to be healed? Jesus, this man has been laying there for 38 years. What kind of insulting question is that? Do you want? Of course I Jesus, come on. Of course I want to be made well. But here's what Jesus understands. 
that oftentimes the things, the things that restrict us from being the men, women, and children that God has called us to be is not our conditions, is not our job, is not our occupation, is not all things going our way. If we're really honest, it's the fact that we don't want it. And so Jesus says, do you want it? I don't know about you, but I want it. I want it. I want it. What do you want? I want everything God has for me. I want it. I want the inheritance, Pastor Tony. I want the mountain. I want everything God has for me. I want it. And the Bible says that this man, in response to Jesus' question, begins to make excuses. Jesus, listen, here's what you have to understand. There's a pool, Jesus, and this pool gets stirred by an angel. Here was the belief. Once a year, this, this pool would get stirred by an angel, and if you could make your way into the pool, you would receive the healing that you wanted. Sounds like a task. And he says, every time I tried to get into the pool, someone always beat me to it. And what I love about Jesus is he pays no attention to these excuses. That Jesus overrides this man's lack of faith. And he says, I don't care about what you said. Here's what I'll say to you. Get up, pick up your bed, and walk. And the Bible says that immediately the man was healed. He took up his bed and he walked. I want you to catch this. 38 years he was an invalid, but immediately. 38 years he was lying there, but immediately. What your situation needs is not principles and tactics and strategy. What your, what your, what your circumstances need is for Jesus to step in. And you watch things change immediately. You watch what others said was impossible become possible. Immediately, he took up his bed and, and he walked. And, and the Bible says, now, now, now this, this day was the Sabbath. This day was the Sabbath. Now, now these, 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 these uh, Jews and Pharisees see this man holding his bed and walking. And they look at him and they say, hey, today's the Sabbath. You're not allowed to pick up your bed and walk around. Because, because the law said you were not allowed to carry a load on the day of Sabbath because you were supposed to rest. And he says, no, 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 but, but listen, the, the man who healed me told me to pick up my bed and walk. Now I scratch my head, I'm like, why would Jesus tell this man to pick up his bed and walk? Jesus told this man to pick up his bed and walk because that bed was his, was his testimony. That bed was his testimony. That bed was not work. He, he's saying work. This is, not, this is not work. Work was what I was doing for 38 years as I tried to crawl into the pool. This, ladies and gentlemen, is rest. For what I was doing for 38 years, what I was a slave to for 38 years, Jesus has stepped in and he has freed me. This is rest. This is not work. This is rest. And Jesus finds this man in the temple later, and, and, and Jesus reveals to this man who, who he is. And he goes, wow, you're Jesus, this is amazing. This man runs into the same Pharisees, and he goes, I know who set me free. His name is Jesus. And the Bible says from this moment on, the Pharisees wanted to kill Jesus. This, the Pharisees approach Jesus, and they're like, what are you doing? Don't you know you're not supposed to work 
You're not supposed to work on the Sabbath and you're causing guys to take their bed and walk around like, like it's a normal day. It's the Sabbath, Jesus. And Jesus goes, no, 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 you, you, don't, you don't understand. Only two people are at work. Verse 17, only two people are at work. He says, my father is working and I am working. That man just stepped into rest. That man just found freedom. That man just found grace. That man discovered what it means not to just be where God has called you to be, but to be who God has called you to be. Let this man walk. The worship team, you can come up. And I'm going to close. Look, I'm going to close all this so you know I'm not lying here. The Bible says... That to get to the pool, there was a sheep gate. All right, I need, you to, I need you to catch this. There was a sheep gate. And you had to go through the sheep gate to get to the pool. Above the pool was a porch. Someone say porch. This porch was held by five pillars. Five pillars. Five is the biblical number for grace. I need you to catch this. The writer of Hebrews says, come with confidence to the throne of grace to receive mercy and find grace. Five pillars. Five is the number of grace. Here's the kicker. Bethesda means house of mercy. And so what this man found was not work, was not a spiritual ladder, was not principles. What this man found was mercy and grace. And it was found in Jesus. He stands at the center of it all. Stands at the center of it all. And he says, come with confidence to me. Come and find grace and find mercy. I have it all. I have it all, Jesus says. You know what the week of prayer and fasting is? It's us coming to the throne of grace. Jesus didn't care about his unbelief. He says, my faith will be enough. You get up and walk. You know what another word for faith in the New Testament is? It's divine persuasion. Divine persuasion where God moves in our hearts on our behalf. And he brings us to all that he has called us to be. And it's not a result of principles and a spiritual ladder. We're not climbing spiritual ladders this week. We're coming to the one who gives freely grace and mercy to those who need it, to those who would ask for it. That's the cry of our heart. So let me pray, Father. God, thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. We thank you that it is ever flowing and never ending. We thank you that we can come boldly We can ask of you and you give freely. You've said, come to me those who are weary. Come to me those who are tired and heavy laden and I will give you rest. We thank you that our rest is found in you, Jesus. I pray that you would give rest to those in this room, rest to those online. In the mighty name of Jesus. And just as every eye is closed and every head is bowed, if you're in this place and you're saying, Pastor Mo, I I don't know what it means to walk in spiritual rest. I don't know what it means to have a relationship with God. I want to give you an opportunity to respond. I want to give you an opportunity to receive the free gift of forgiveness that only Jesus can offer. 
If you're in this room or watching online, if you're saying, I want to receive the free gift of forgiveness that only Jesus can offer, I want you to raise your hand up and put it right back down. Thank you. Mm. Hallelujah. I ask that you raise your hand so that what's happening inside of you becomes all the more real. And so, Father, I thank you for these hands. I thank you that this is the best decision that they could ever make. We thank you for the fruit that will come forth because of this decision to receive freely your forgiveness. Would you bless them and give them joy and peace and purpose. In Jesus' name I pray and all God's people said.